You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall, editors of the Batuta Advocate on Desert Rock FM. Hello and welcome back to the Batuta Advocate radio show. My name is Wendell Hussey and you are hearing it first up today because we're doing something a little bit different. Clancy Overall, the editor of the Batuta Advocate, decided he wanted to go over to the Venice Film Festival, but um, obviously he needed a bit of a financial incentive there as well. So he jumped into bed with another artistic uh, institution, the UFC, and they organised for him to go over there to Paris and cover some of the big fights over there before his trip to Venice. So we're going to play some clips there and have a bit of a discussion about Clancy in Paris. Clancy Overell and Errol Parker are in the booth with me here today to walk through this journey into the art of uh, hitting, punching, choking, kicking, all that sort of grappling. stuff as well. Grappling, getting no sound bites. No biting. No biting. No nut kicking, no, none of that no, sort of um, stuff. No Chinese burns. No scratching. Mm-hmm. No typewriters. You can do a typewriter, can't um, you? No. Yeah, that's that got banned with all the new grappling rules. I think the typewriter. Uh, yeah. yeah. No screeching in the ear. <laughs> that I go. used to cop that for the lots of brother. lots of specifics. Um, yeah. You can't get into nipple cripples. Um, bit hard with the gloves, but I mean, technically, you probably could get away with it if you wanted to. Anyway, that's what Clancy was having a look at over there in Paris. He's just returned to the channel country off the back of a hip operation as well it's been a big few weeks Clancy how are you feeling yeah I'm good I thought you know I thought I was going to struggle with the hip on tour you know of course humble you know as successful as the Batuta Advocate is I'm still flying economy and I was a bit worried about it I got through a bit of melatonin and some other goodies that mm. caused me a, gr- a great deal of white noise on the flight Although I kind of got a reality check when I was there at the um, Accor Arena in Paris and I had the great pleasure of meeting Justin Taffer. Another brawler? Another brawler, another heavyweight, who has had quite a hip operation. Like a, and one that happened in Sydney, like a, a scrape into his spine, I believe. They had to level him out a little bit and, and really, really clean him up. Mm. He was there, and I cannot understand why the fuck he came over because that just... What was happening in his body at that time, which was still not healed, and he was on crutches in a city where he doesn't speak the language, sounded like pain. But I do, I do believe he was um, he was well looked after by the UFC. Medicated. Uh, I'd, I'd say he'd have to have been. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any fears of DVT? That's what I always think about after surgery, getting on a plane, the blood clots. No, no. Uh, is that something you worried about, uh, Wendell? No, more from the vaccine, I guess. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, just something. I was just wondering if that popped in your head after a big no. operation. Like no, that I didn't, didn't really think about it. I was mostly thinking about getting some sleep. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you, you know, there's worse ways to go, really, isn't there? On an aeroplane, there is, well, for you, sure. Like, with, with, like, you know, like, the, all these all these things with, I like, think... the increase in the cost of living and whatnot, and, mm. and no one can afford to do anything, like, you know, just peacefully drifting off in an economy class chair on the way back from Europe isn't too bad. Fair. To I, I don't think you drift. I think with the blood clots and stuff, I think it's similar to lying on the canvas there and having a heavyweight just batter your head in. You get a real thumping sensation apparently. So yeah, anyway, we want to talk about the heavyweight battle that you went and saw over there in Paris. Clancy mm. was a full fight card. It was tied yeah. to Ivasa, a friend of the show. Headlining uh, up there against uh, the hometown heroes, Cyril Garn. Yep. Uh, I arrived... I'm going to say it was 
the 31st, so that would have been Thursday, Paris time, mm-hmm. and I pretty much dumped my bags in my hotel in Bastille mm-hmm. and made my way to the Pullman Hotel where the Bam Bam Entourage was kind of already underway. I was thinking there, because I was floating, as you said, uh, Bam Bam Tuivasa, friend of the show, I was wondering, am I going to be somewhat of a nuisance here? Because, you know, you start thinking about the amount of people that a fighter travels with. They've got the trainers, they've got their partners, they've got the kids. In Bam Bam's case, he had his kid there, and he had all of his cousins, you know, all the uh, Usos flew over too. And I was wondering, um, you know, are there too many people in his life back home here right now? Would that be causing him nerves? But when I got there, I realized I didn't even make up a percentage of the amount of friends and family that were there. They were based in the lobby of the Mm. Pullman Hotel and out the front. And I I did have have a word to his coach, Sully, and I said, is this going to be a distraction? And Sully said, no, actually, it isn't with Bam Bam. It would be with some fighters, but it's actually – after you know three months training or six months between Thailand and Dubai, being able to just come back and down from his room, go up for his rest because he's he's still cutting weight before the weigh-in, he's exhausted. Mm. But being able to go up and down and it feels like home every time he kind of it's kind of like Christmas time. Once everyone's settled in, you leave your room, someone's there that you can have a little chat to. Is there and, a bit and, of a distraction element to it as well? You know, yeah. he's not thinking too much, yeah. and not dwelling too yeah. much. How have you been? Up. Oh, thanks yeah. for coming out. That was the feeling, and I, I, I think. Uh, when it was all said and done, it was great to have the numbers there because you wouldn't, you know, it's already happened and he's just lost. But if, you know, his last fight, not as many people could make it. There were still borders and everything in Houston and there was four or five people. When you come home to that after a loss and that's pretty grim. So, you know, Mm. it would have been glorious if he'd won because everyone was there with him to celebrate, but it was better that they were there when he lost, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Yeah. I get you. Yeah, so can you talk us through the logistics of how this big group of people would get through Paris to go to the venue? Well... What I did was I, um, you know, I, I was actually not there to be a part of the Tuivas entourage, which I ended up being well and truly a part of. I was there to do these interviews, which we'll play in a bit. So I kind of was able to walk on my own, you know, move on my own time. Although, as I said, the first place I went to was to go see them, and I, I met all the cousins and the uncles and then other family friends and you know friends from yeah. Dubai. And there was actually an American guy there who's a you know real estate guy who they'd made friends in Houston. He must have hosted them, and so he was brought along. And so <laughs> to hear a 50, 50 year old Texan man, uh, you know, learning words like USO and um, FTA and Chi Who was hilarious. There was all this shit happening. So I'm glad I got in there and met all them. Then I went and uh, roamed around Paris to see if there was any scoops or any landmarks I could visit. So I did that, but I, I did notice once I was in the mix, had a few phone numbers of the boys just to figure out what was going on because it was, it was day after day. So the first day of the media day mm. where I got in there, actually we can play that question now. Uh, lad, I just want to ask, you, uh, you, you talk, they're all talking about fans here. You've got close to 30 to 40 Friends and family that have come out, mostly from Western Sydney. You said they, you know, there's a great opportunity for you to bring the family out and you have a reason for everyone to travel to Paris, but they're doing it uh, for you too. So, what is it about that part of the world? You know, they're obviously breeding tough, they breed them tough out there, but there's a lot of love. And are you feeling that right now in Paris? Definitely. Uh, Like I said, some of my closest friends and my family have. made a 24-hour plane ride to come and um, watch me do my thing and uh, win or lose I, I know that they're on my side and 
that's a great feeling to have. And um, shout out to the rest of Western Sydney. One day we'll uh, we'll be fighting back home. That's for sure. And uh, do you feel sorry for the poor Frenchman that had to sit between eight of your cousins on the flight here to Paris? <laughs> <laughs> My poor brothers, they had to sit. <laughs> They're twice the size of me. I wouldn't want to get stuck with them on the chair, that's for sure. Thanks, lad. Thank you. Yeah, so as you can see, I was well inside the tent there. Had my media accreditation. Thank you to the UFC. Uh, Batuta Advocates never felt more international than we did over the weekend. That was the Thursday. Got that out of the way and kind of linked up with a few of these guys. And then I realized as I'm out, you know, at the Eiffel Tower, I realized that a lot of his core circle weren't going anywhere else. They were just going to be around, uh, either with him when he needed to go somewhere or in the lobby. That's where they were, drinking coffee and eating hotel food, mm. um, which I guess is also a part of that support network that he has. But, you know, I'd be getting messages from my boy Hammer saying, where are you at? Where are you up to? I say, oh, I'm um, just in town at the moment. What are you doing in town? Uh... Just looking at one of the greatest human achievements in Western civilization. Um, the Eiffel Tower. The Mona Lisa. Or as one of the boys called it, the Mona Vale Lisa. Classic. And, uh, you know, doing that kind of shit. And I'll be like, where are you? Oh, we're just hanging out at the hotel. Like, that was where they were at. They, they weren't in Paris. They were, <laughs> There's uh, not that many things yeah. you see in so Paris. So this was your first really? time in Paris, was it? Yeah, it was my first so, time. So I had to peel away and and check a few things off the list. And I got all that done. You can do that in a day and a yeah, half. Yeah, well, what well, is look, the look, Eiffel I, Tower? I, what else? I do know that, that our friends down at the German club um, in the old area of town, they do often openly refer to Paris as being a cesspool and an, an absolute shithole. Hmm. Did you find that? I, I know. I found it. Actually, you know what? I think a lot of this shit about the French being rude is like an American conspiracy. And of course, Errol, we've seen him heading when we were in Ireland and we were um, meeting up with the Waterford Whispers over there, and we saw the Americans cutting around Ireland, and they're just they're yeah. absolute pigs. And they, you know, only ten percent of that country has a passport, and only fifty percent of the ten percent that have a passport have been anywhere but yeah. Mexico and the Caribbean. So they kind of travel with a closed mind, and you know that. When you refuse to kind of kind of cooperate with a language barrier, I guess it's easy to feel like the French are, I mean, are being rude to you. But I found them quite pleasant as long as you, you know a little bit of I French mean, like, too, don't you? It's almost like the Americans in Europe are like the Australians in Southeast Asia. Absolutely, I mean, they're just they are. they're very demanding and they're very noisy. But I find if you can learn your words, your mercy, and your that's about all I had. Bonjour, bonsoir, salut. Mm. Those kind of things, they know you're trying, and they'll the come to, and they, they wait on your table. That's another thing. Who, who yeah. are we to say that they're rude? Like we're sitting in a pub or in a in a brasserie or a restaurant, and they're just bringing beer to your table. We don't get that kind of luxury in Australia. Mm. We've got to go line up at the bar. Nah. Yeah, the only time I've ever had that was during those COVID, you know, no vertical standing rules when the actual bartenders had to come to you. But as for the service, I found the French quite lovely. I do like the fact that there's a pride, a sense of pride in the French, you know, whether they're very newly arrived French people, you know, uh, first-generation migrants. Everyone's French, and they don't fuck around with any of this kind of uh, we're more French than you, we're more French than that. It's uh, it's a, it, it was an interesting thing to see, but I guess it's a very old, old city, and it's always been very multicultural. So I did, you know, I got stuck into... The snails, but also got stuck into the falafels and that kind of, um, you know, that that kind of yeah. French the cuisine, new France, the yeah. French cuisine that you don't, you know, you don't see on the postcards. Modern fusion, yeah. Mm. As someone who you know is hoping to get uh, 
Rugby Australia to send them over to the World Cup next mm. year. What other stuff was there in Paris? Obviously, the Eiffel Tower. Did you do a few other bits and pieces? Or was uh, mostly yeah, work? I went to the Louvre. Yep. Uh, surprised to learn that whole thing's underground. Arc de Triomphe. Uh, but did you think that the entire museum was inside that glass pyramid? No, I thought it was inside the building next to it, which apparently is just like almost a statue in itself. So, Did you go to the Musée d'Orsay? Yeah, went there. Uh, did I, you go to Shakespeare & Co., that famous bookshop? No, did not go there. Didn't have time, really. Did uh, you go grueling to, schedule. Did you go to Jim Morrison's grave? No, didn't. that's a bit, bit out of town. I did go to the nightclubs in Bastille. That was um, that was a Mate, bit of fun. It's it's not too far from the famous Moulin Rouge, where I thought a man of your ilk would be. Mm, no, I on um, an evening time in Paris. I was warned to stay away from the strip clubs. Uh, apparently, they're not as uh, inviting it's as they are. It's a burlesque club. Yeah, yeah. Well, apparently they rob you and they drug you. So I kept away from the Moulin Rouge. Sounds like heaven. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, was wary of the pickpockets. It came with a bum bag. So naturally with the bum bag, I slid straight into this entourage of Western Sydney lads. Yeah, I think that the tile of this podcast needs to be that picture of you with your bum bag out and your Birkenstocks on and the open shirt. Well, there was also the bum bag with RMs, which I don't think has been done before. Um, that was what I was rocking at the media conferences. So that yeah. day one was the media conference. And that was where, you know, I'm going over there to watch Whitaker and uh, Tuivasa fight. Mm. So I wasn't overly invested in the rest of the card. Not not a diehard UFC man myself, aside from, you know, these personal relationships that we've all formed with these Australian fighters just coming through Desert Rock Studios. But after a day sitting there listening to all these guys, they're all media trained. The French did a very clever thing in putting um, a French-Canadian on the card and having basically the MC of the entire weekend was the famous George Saint-Pierre. So you've got all of these guys that can bounce in both languages for both international journalists. But what they would do, and it's something you see a lot with the Asian tennis players, when they get asked a question, and they can speak English, but they answer it in their mm. in their native language, which is it's a great kind of uh, moment of pride. And that was happening a lot with um, these. Well, it's also much easier to not get lost in translation. I mean, you know, yeah. if if English isn't your first jibber then I guess you're going to speak in your jabber, aren't you? Well, the, the, the French Canadians were, were very polished in both, but there was a moment where they could see a Frenchman asking them a question. These are at the weigh-ins anyway. A Frenchman asks a question trying to speak English and he answers in French and the crowd would just go ballistic. So it was uh, that was what I was talking about. That French pride was really on display and I think that was magnified by the fact that it was the first UFC Paris has ever had, or France has ever had. It was illegal 18 months ago and I was asking around why I didn't I didn't take the French as wowzers. Like why was UFC I mean if it's it's been legal in Australia for how mm. long and where the where the real nanny state. But yeah. they, they, they were telling me there was a judo monopoly on mixed martial arts in France. They kinda had the big board and they had so they kinda kept MMA out, the UFC out anyway. Big uh, judo. Big yeah, judo which country. is funny because you know, as a people it, it is, you know, one of their cultural sports is to fight the police in the street. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, there's absolutely no rules if you're fighting a cop. No, um, and you know that's None. where the mixed martial arts are quite you know handy because you can punch a cop, you can knock a cop over, but can you go to ground with one? Um, mm. That's what the yellow shirts really pioneered. Can you finish it off? Mm. Yeah. So you were at that press conference for what, a couple of hours? Yeah, a couple of hours. But I sat there and I started getting invested in all these little bloke stories. And when I say little blokes, I mean like the lower divisions. Still quite large men. Sometimes. So people who are shorter than you. No, no, I mean like lightweights. Like they're real. Oh, they're yeah, really yeah, lightweights, yeah. right? Um, what, like two jockeys having a fight over 
Yeah, like little squirrels breaking <laughs> each other's arms. Off. <laughs> there was one particular bout that I became very, very invested in, having sat through their media conferences. And they, yeah, like I said, they're very media trained. Charles Jourdain, he was a French Canadian, mm-hmm. and it was against the Englishman Nathaniel Wood. Both little kind of whippersnappers, but they both had their own stories. Like, uh, I think uh, that part of Canada, French Canada, uh, really took a big whack yeah, in COVID. Oh, I thought you were about to say that's the part where all the dwarves come from. Oh, well, it would make sense judging by this division. That was featherweight. He'd had a really hard time. The wife and kids, they hadn't left the house, and now that the borders were open, it was like, I'm, I'm going to take this back to, to Canada. Mm. And then Nathaniel Wood kind of spoke quite openly about mental health challenges it had. I guess everything that they're all talking was informed about the last couple of years, you know. And that was that was Nathaniel Wood. He actually he won. The Englishman won and was talking about it in the ring, anxiety and depression in the post match interview, and then back in the in the presser. So I, I started getting really invested in all these different stories, but. The real kind of, when I saw the entourage kick into gear was the weigh-ins. So in the mornings, they have the official weigh-ins where they get the actual weight. Yeah. And that's where that's why Bam Bam was napping and, uh, as I said, really slowing down, quite faded. And you hear them in that first media day, the day mm. before the weigh-ins, where they're all kind of trying to give it their best, but they're, they're all running a bit slow. And then they do the weigh-ins in the morning, the official weigh-ins, and then... They do the uh, ceremonial weigh-ins in the afternoon. So if you see the ceremonial weigh-ins where like it's the, the shirts off, they're on stage, the crowds are cheering. Yeah, George St. Pierre's on stage. Usually Dana's there, but he didn't make it out. They've got the weight already. You know what I mean? That's the weight's already been done at the ceremonial weigh-in. The only time they'll weigh them at the at the ceremonial weigh-in is if they didn't make weight in the morning, and then they get another six hours to get to that weight. Go and sit in the sauna, yeah, don't drink piss, any water, yeah, 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 take yeah. some laxatives. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're all everyone made weight. And then so when they bring them in for the official weigh-in, it's shirt off on the stage flex and no one looks at anything and they go, and, and then they're off the weights again. And then from there, I got to go backstage and interview both Whitaker and Ty. Yeah, right. And so that's where you're sitting with the other journos and you're firing yeah. these questions at them. The first first shot you had was at Whitaker. He was yeah. first up and yep. this is what you said to him. You listen to Clancy Overall here on the Batuta Advocate Podcast. I'm joined by Mr. Whitaker. Uh... It's been an exciting couple of days here in Paris, and uh, I'm looking at these fighters as they're getting up on the scales, and there's a big grin on their faces. How has it been, mate, preparing? How was the weigh-in, and was it what you wanted? Yeah, uh, the weigh-in was perfect. We've got it down to a science. Just another day in the office. Made yeah. weight, enjoying some good grub, and we're going to get to work tomorrow. Yeah. See it. And how was that first meal afterwards, or do you still have to pace yourself from there? Mate, spectacular. <laughs> I can't explain it. I can't explain it. <laughs> So what's um, we're currently you know 24 hours out here. What is the plan from here for something like this, man? Um, yeah, and I'm gonna eat, stretch tonight, just enjoy myself, relax, not worry about the fight too much. And then tomorrow's game day. You know, I'm gonna follow the program that we've developed over years of practice and um, you know trial and error, and yeah, get to work. That's what yeah. I do. Tomorrow's tomorrow I go in the office. Check it afterwards, and yeah, worry about that then. Is it is it an office thing for you? Because like, I mean, we're looking at obviously Tuivasa and a few of the other locals as well. The, the locals, it's a family affair. Are you just rolling with the kind of skeleton crew here, or have you got have you got people? Have you got love? Oh yeah, I brought my wife and my, yeah. my, my youngest. I got my coaches here, mm-hmm. but we we're here to work. Yeah. You know, this isn't a holiday for us. We're yeah. here to, to to get a certain job done. I'm here yeah. to. I'm gonna try and cave Martin's head in. Yeah, Martin. <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Yeah. I, I'm going to try and cave his head in and 
yeah, that's that's what you know I'm paid to do. We sat next to the Italian, so I'd really enjoy that if you did. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. <laughs> mate. I'm gonna give my my best go. Well, thanks for joining us, mate. Um, George St Pierre said in there, every fight it could be against a, the same fighter in every ring, but you're not fighting the same fighter. Is there what's different about this fighter that's going to be facing that Italian? Me, your last fight. Oh, mate, I've gotten better across the board. Yep. And uh, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna see a really good Rob tomorrow. Okay. You're gonna All see right. a really good Rob. All good, mate. We're loving this. Western Sydney is uh, making a name for itself in Paris. Thanks for joining us, mate. We are thriving. Thank you very much. <laughs> And we did see a very good uh, version of Rob. He absolutely punished Daniel Vittori, former yeah. New Zealand cricket's great, Daniel Vittori's yeah. cousin, Martin yeah. Vittori. Martin Vittori, from, uh, hailing from Naples, Napoli. That was where I saw real fans, though. And, and I was so, as I said there, I was sitting next to them at the weigh-ins and I was sitting next to them at the actual fight. The Vittori fans were like nothing I've ever seen before. And, I've you know, I've been to EPL matches. I've seen soccer hooligans. They are absolutely depraved, psychopathic fans. They were singing Pavarotti in the crowd, <laughs> and they just didn't stop. And they don't drink as well. You'd think, oh, yeah, pissed UFC. They're not. They're Italian. So they're like, I actually remember being at the bar at the fight and what and seeing these Italians blow up that they were only serving beer. I was like, what, no. are, you, what are you after? You want some wine or do you want some cocktail? One guy said, do you not wear cocktails? I was like, no, mate. you have seen matches? I mean, look, cocktail. sugary cocktails, that could make sense. Obviously yeah. very expensive. Yeah. Maybe not in a nice glass. Yeah, but yeah. Fuck, they love to carry on. Yeah, and they, and it, was, it was truly one of the great moments of that whole weekend was watching just, uh, yeah, as he said, cave his head in. Um, and you can see that in that interview. He is like an engineer. That's the first time I've spoken to an athlete where it's like he's looking at this so kind of analytically. Not even that much heart in it, you know. It's more plan and execution, and that was exactly what it was. And he gave a great post-match speech where he said, I'm the most feared and most dangerous man in this division, including the title holder. So power to Whitaker. That was... um, yeah, that went exactly to plan. Yeah, he's um, certainly very good at what he does, and he is a very, very scary man. It's like even when he's talking there, you can hear him just dialed in. He's a bit of a... Uh... So how much of a hiding did Whitaker get himself? Like, was he able just to, like, walk out of the ring and be like, all right, let's go and get a nice steak? Yeah, you know, he was he was fine. Um, actually, I did see him at the after-match function, um, just sitting around the table with some mates, going, digging to the esky, digging through for a cold beer, and I was actually thinking that looking at him, I mean, obviously he's very, he's in shape. He's wearing shirts and shirt and boardies. And I remember thinking, you're kind of average height. You've got like a go to, you look like a type of guy you'd see in a pub. Mm. And I wonder if that, you know, you, you go think like the idea of a, the most dangerous man in the room hiding in plain sight. That's another thing about him. He's very unassuming. But yeah, he was fine. I don't actually think he took too much of a whack in the fight either. He, uh, yeah, he, he, yeah, it was just clinical. There you go. And now another one of Western Sydney's greats, uh, Bam Bam Tuivasa, the main event um, mm-hmm. against Cyril Garner. You spoke to him shortly after that. Uh, here's what he had to say. So, um, what's doing, lad? <laughs> Not much. What's doing? You've uh, you've just done your way in, Bam Bam. Was that what you'd planned for, or was it was it down to the wire? No, definitely. It's uh, I'm I'm in enemy territory, and it's understandable mm. uh, that I get the booze. But yeah. um, if they were cheering for me more than him, I think yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, they, they, the French are banging on about you getting booed. You're not getting booed that loudly. It's like there's a lot of love in the fans here as well. I mean, it, it also could have the fact that your entourage is growing by the day as well. you got to love Bambi. <laughs> I'm a lovable chap, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, he's, he's a good egg. Now, tell me, what was your first meal after you um, after you fucking made weight? Uh, Nutella. Yeah? On bread. Always. Yeah, yeah. They always have Nutella backstage, and I, I mud straight into it. Energy's lifted. Um, you, what do you do now? It's an early bed. Like you know, we're twenty four hours away. No, I stay up late tonight, mm-hmm. and then uh, try and sleep as much as I can. Yeah. So try and sleep in to as long as I can, and, yeah. uh, and then it's uh, fight day. It's on, baby. It's game time. <laughs> what are we thinking backstage when you get your hands all sorted out? Was it? Will it be Luke Coombs again this year? Yeah, I've always got my. Uh, <laughs> playlist they say nothing on. lasts forever <laughs> great at karaoke this lad yeah, um, I've done a few karaoke <laughs> in my time a few karaoke rooms oh yeah yeah I don't know what you're talking about anyway um, <laughs> let me let me just say you've got um, you've got your son here you've got your all your family you saw your brothers rolling today how long since they seen you uh, it's been a, it's been a few months uh, yeah because the first thing they said, do you remember the first thing they said to you after they saw you? For, I haven't seen you for two months, three months. Hey, will that fit me? <laughs> yeah, well, they got their own bag this time. They're in the corner, so I'll probably get their bag and take my stuff as well. So that's understandable. It's, it's, that's, it's nothing new. No, it's all love. There's um, we do. You know, we just spoke to Whitaker. We'll be having a yarn to Tyson. Not only is all your family here, but the, actually the whole. MMA community it feels like from Western Sydney there's a lot of love yeah it's awesome uh, we can travel now mm. which is a good thing mm-hmm. everyone's been locked in the house I suppose so it's good to see some familiar faces and uh, I can feel the love but tomorrow i got to go to work yep. in the office do you feel better in like a Paris summer than you do in Dubai what was that like the last couple of months yeah Dubai <laughs> Dubai's stinking hot so it's really good it's been beautiful weather yeah. here mm-hmm. it doesn't get dark till 10 o'clock I don't know about that yeah yeah which is pretty cool supposed to be good for the bender yeah it'll be great you know yeah. when you come home with the silverware yeah um, <laughs> I'll let you go now Bam Bam thanks for talking to us thanks for having me and do you want to say g'day, Carter? Yeah. Say go, Dad. Go, Dad. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, man. Bam Bam's son there with some stirring words. Now, they both talk about going to work, but perhaps slightly different pre-fight mentalities yeah, yeah. there. Yeah, I mean, even look, listening back to that, having seen him just lose, and, and I say just lose, it was a total knockout, but yeah, heavyweight he was always the is. the first one to knock down, big yeah. Cyril, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm. I mean, everything he said kind of went to plan, but... The thing that I think that was the difference here is Cyril is, he'd be six foot six, six foot seven. He's carved from over stone. Over two meters. Over two, he's carved from stone. Like he is. Carved from granite. Yeah. And he, he's just a little bit different to the other heavyweights. So the heavyweights have usually got a bit of pudge on them or, mm. and, and they're usually not that tall. And you can see, you can see that from all the photos of them squaring up. So when Bam Bam put him on his ass and that was, I was cheering, I almost had, you know, in my mind, it was over when I saw yeah. that. What happens is he hits the deck, and that's usually where Bam Bam gives them an uppercut, and they're just they're out. Yeah. So where he had him is where he has them when he wins. But um, what happens is he hits the deck and he sits bolt upright, and he's too tall for the uppercut. So if Bam Bam was to get down, get get one into him, it was only going to get him in the chest. Mm. While he was you know 
too tall for the uppercut. He was also not tall enough for just a proper punch to the face. So it was an awkward position. And then and then his boots went up, and then then they were back into the in, into the fight. So Bam Bam lost by TKO, but um, that's uh, that's always how you lose in heavyweight. I don't think anyone. I mean, very rarely do they tap out, and very rarely do they go the distance, and and it goes down to points. So yeah, it ended up being. Cyril got the punch on Bam Bam, the one that finished it. But I even look listening back to his interview now, while it's um you know it's a shame because there was so much positivity there and su- such a plan, he just he just didn't get the bickies in the end. Well, look, could we talk about one moment um in the fight, that moment where Bam Bam got kicked mm-hmm. um in the liver by Cyril? Did Bam Bam tell you how he was, he was feeling after that? I mean, like I saw that and you could see. So Bam Bam had his hands up. He mm. copped that boot in the guts mm. and he takes two steps back and drops his guard. Yeah. And he's like, fuck me. I've yeah. just been hit by a fucking Commodore. Yeah. Well, we had a little bit of a chat. You know, obviously after a TKO, they have to do med- medical checks. So we had the after party drinks. And as I said, the whole crowd was there and it was all love. And it was great that his brothers were there because that these are older brothers. And so on paper he's never won a fight with them <laughs> so it was great to have them there because they you know they kind of keep him grounded like you know you did well bro but you know you've never beaten me and maybe you'll beat Cyril one day but you'll never beat me it was great great to watch that kind of ribbing from the brothers and also the little love but i had a little chat to him afterwards there was another thing there where he get he, he got one in the face in the third round yeah and Kind of looked like it was going down, and that was a fake wobble. I actually had to clarify that, and he fucking he tricked him too. Mm. That was pretty creative, I think. But... Joey Manu did it a few weeks ago in the footy. He yeah. clutched his um, yeah. hamstring and then just burst through. Yeah, and sets yeah. up a try. It's a clever little play. It was a clever play, and, and it nearly got him there too. He, he nearly he nearly had him there, but I was asking him where it was hurting because you see him, you want to give him a hug. I'm like, I've got to be careful here. I'm, I'm not going to get, you know, around the head and give him a, give mm. him a smooch because his face was, you know, and, and you'll see the photos, his face was, it looked like he'd been in a heavyweight UFC fight. But I do think the ribs, the ribs and the gut were hurting. And they would have been. Like those kicks you said, just, mm. fuck, from a man that size, who's that fit and that strong, coming yeah. at you with a kick like that, I'm, uh, you know, the, the medical check was all good. There was no blood in the piss or anything like that. But, you know, you finish a fight like that and then you go out in the piss all night. I just don't know yeah, what he, that hangover would have felt like. <laughs> <laughs> and he seems to make them last for as long as possible, the benders, and puts yeah. off the hangover for as long as possible. Well, no, that's also that's another thing that I've, I've heard in fighting. You know, like, Whitaker was getting stuck in too. Like, you know, he, he was a bit different. He was like kind of – he was more after match. Mm. But Bam Bam had all the family there. And the thing is they don't go to sleep anyway. You know, after something like that, you just yeah, so, late night, the hype, the adrenaline. The hype. You fight at eleven o'clock. There's no you, your body can't deprogram, so you may as well. If you've got all your family there, you may as well just stay up and and, yeah. and see and speak to everyone one by one. You know, like at a wedding when when the bride doesn't get round to seeing everyone because they they end off. You know, and they you know it, it was kind of like that. It's like well, I'm here all night. Everyone's come out and everyone had a little chat to him and. And he was laughing. He was in good spirits. So yeah, I it, wanted to ask you about yeah. that. What was the mood like after it? Like obviously he he was um, going up against the second rank guy mm. in the heavyweight yeah. um, division. This was a big shot for him. Mm. And obviously he doesn't seem you know he's looks like he's moving on and he's going forward and he'll be back yeah. and he'll be having another crack. What was the mood like? Because obviously it would be a bit deflating, but he seemed like he took yeah, it well. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel sorry. In that circumstance, I feel sorry for the coach because the coach is kind of looking at everything 
that's happening in the mat and following the plan and, and the coaches and you know and all the people supporting that are at ringside. You, know, you feel sorry for Bam Bam too, but then, then again, he's not coming off a string of losses. You know, no. he's, he's had so many wins that even a, that now a close loss as headliner to a man ranked above him, mm. it continues the trajectory upwards. Yeah, you know, the star like, power of Bam yeah, Bam continues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he'll get another shot. Well, he'll, he'll, well yeah. He, he'll he definitely was, get another shot. He, he was the first one to only with his fists put that bloke on his bum yeah. for, for two seconds, but yeah. he was down. Yeah, and that was what the Frenchman said in the post-match interview. He said, with Tui Vasa, you don't feel the punches, you feel the floor. Which must, you know, I, I, when you really think about it, I just think about how that must feel. Like... The punch doesn't register because it's so hard and fast that you feel the floor first, and then you feel the winded, and then you feel fucking mm. like you've been whacked. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was good spirits. There was a lot of love, and like I said, it was great that for a loss he had that many people. It wasn't in a pandemic where he's got. I mean, remember that one? Remember where he won and he, you know, he pissed the bed and he, the, you know, in Dubai during the yep. height of lockdowns. It was him and his coach. He had to celebrate that win basically alone with whoever, what other fighters were in the hotel that could hang out. Mm. So yeah, it would have been great to kind of bring home the silverware without the medical checks straight back to the to the hotel and party. But I was also think I think everyone there was um, happy that a loss could be shared with everyone. Too. Yeah, like yeah. a trip away with all the yeah. friends and family yeah, yeah. and stuff. You know, it's- yeah, net net positive all up. But yeah, it was it was interesting and the entourage that was also the, like an, an eye opening experience for me like the how surgical that is with everyone knows what they're doing no one's kind of everyone no one gets left behind and you know we're doing dinner you can come along with it but also this is what's happening over here and and when you're in kind of paris alone and you're kind of uh flanking this crew it was impossible not to um not to find something to do each night um whether you want to go with the civilized pre-fight dinner crowd or you want to go rip in with the with the cousins certainly fun to be had now look Listeners would know, Clancy, that you have a storied history of boxing out here in the Channel Country. Mm-hmm. There must have been a little part of you sitting there on the side thinking, prime Clancy overall, how what would could, he fare? What could have been? I, uh, mate, it's, that's, like I said, um, I'm, I'm quite a Frenchman in that sense that my eyes have only just been opened to mm. MMA. Watching those welterweights and middleweights on the ground, I've never seen anything like it. Mm. And... There was once upon a time where I didn't really appreciate what was happening. Mm. But, you know, because you see them and sometimes they can do a whole round on the ground. But when you're watching it live, I'm like, there's every little movement here is part of some sort of training and some sort of Yeah, they're boa constrictors. And and when you hear the crowd who are, you know, obviously devout fight fans are seeing things that I couldn't see. You know, like someone's arm goes this way and he props himself up and the crowd roars. I was like, okay, this is all a different art form. This is a whole different kind of martial art. Yeah, um, I was glad that there wasn't too many kind of serious, you know. I mean, Bam Bam was the one that got taken. He still got to do his post-match interview too in in the ring, but like that was as hairy as it got. Just because it was a knockout, they had to do the medical checks. But yeah. I don't think no one left in ambulances. Which you know, that's another thing. George Saint Pierre said it's like he was very thankful for his fighting career because it kept him healthy, but only just because it could have really hurt him. And that's that's another thing they. Um, there's only so many fights you've got in you. Bam Bam's only young. I know he's not 30 yet, and he hasn't had that many fights in the scheme of things. So it's great that his trajectory is still going up. It's great that Whitaker is kind of reclaiming his place, you know, as a title fighter. Yeah. But it's also every fight. That's something I didn't even think about until I was watching these fights. Where do they put those thoughts? You know, I might break my both my legs tonight 
or I might, you know. Yeah, I'm essentially going to be hit by a car physiologically tonight. Yeah, yeah. so it was great. It was all good fun. It was good, healthy fun. And I think uh, net positive for both his career but also just for the the opportunity to take – 50 friends and family to Paris and let them run ride on that town, which we did. So were you able to pop your head into the after party at all? Or mm. That's what I was saying before. We um, kind of went back there and, yeah, Whitaker was there and and, and Bam Bam was there. No, like the, like the after after party. Oh, no. Uh, I no, popped back okay. in to see him the next day and um, and I think they were all winding down. Um, but, yeah, no. It was also, because he came back, so the fight's at 11 o'clock. There's a medical check. Didn't really get back into the building, showered, you know. He came down in his sarong um, and his Crocs. That wasn't until about 2.33 in the morning. And the energy hadn't gone anywhere. No one was flaking. Everyone wanted to see him. And, um, yeah, so, you know, that yeah. thing ended. Broad, broad daylight, 100%, uh, when people started leaving that. And then, you know, the fighters and their, and their close mates and their teams don't really – they can't really go to sleep. So, lucky you were in Paris where – the hotel bar just stays open. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly a little bit different to here in Batuta. Um, I'm sorry, you're the most famous people in our city tonight in Sydney, but we're going to have to shut the bar down, go to bed. Rules are rules, mate. You're being quite noisy. Out you go. Yeah, there was none of that. Well, look, it certainly sounds like quite an experience, Clancy, and I'm um, looking forward to see what else comes of this. Um, yeah, very jealous. Lots of fun to be had over there in Paris, and then of course Venice. We don't have time for it in this episode. Yeah, I Venice. saw I saw the spit. I saw Spitgate, but we won't we won't talk about that in this episode. What I will say is, UFC are hoping to come to Australia. I think that would be prime for a rematch. Sydney, Sydney, well, Bankwear Stadium, Sydney Football Stadium. Yeah, you know, Bam Bam's p- fighting at home. Yeah, no, Cyril out Garner west, comes out. Yeah, well, well come on. Panther Stadium. You, that would be well, that. even Penny. further, further out west, up north, out here in Batuta, Mayor Keith. Oh, well, oh I'm out here. Be, I thought you were talking about like bloody uh, Lithgow. Katoomba. <laughs> Lithgow. Lithgow has UFC. Lithgow works. Lithgow has UFC. Um, just a bit, uh, bit less, a bit less official. Quite yeah. often out yeah. there. Prison screws. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's where the rematch has got to be. And, and lastly, I'll say I think the USC should actually pay for their fighters to sit at the front of the plane because that wasn't happening. Yeah, how don't you get a big boy like that um, sitting at the front of the plane? I don't understand. Well, it costs also, it costs a lot of money. Yeah, but I, I also think that makes well, a lot of money to take them to Paris. Yeah, it was a full fight. stadium in yeah. Paris. I'm sure they sold a lot of pay per views <laughs> at fifty or sixty dollars. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, Dana didn't get rich by writing checks, did he, mate? So. <laughs> Well, that's why you can always be laughing and smiling, Dana. Um, anyway, that was the uh, Clancy Overall Chronicles over there in Paris for UFC Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a great fight night, very entertaining, and very entertaining stories to come back with, insightful yeah. as well. So thanks well, very much, yeah, Clancy. Well, we, 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 this, this is a call out to ARU. We can do the same thing in France, mm-hmm. 2023. Yes, please. We can do it all. Do the south of France, the middle of France, north of France, whatever you want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll do it. We'll go inside. We'll get the interviews. Mm-hmm. Let's make it happen, Mr. Pigeon. Let's go.